GCC, Growth Journeys from Emerging Ecosystems to Global Markets. Because right now, it really doesn't matter where you are at all. And I think that, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you've been having this experience during COVID, but I'll talk to teams and then later one of my partners will be like, oh, where are they based? And I'll be like, you know what? I actually don't even know. <laughs> ask that question, you know, or I was talking to one team that I was really interested in. And then late, late, late in the conversation, learned they were based in Latvia. And I was like, wow, I, that would have come up so much earlier. Rebecca Kaden is a general partner at Union Square Ventures a leading early and growth stage VC fund based out of New York City. She began her career as a journalist and prior to USV was a GP at Mavron. Rebecca has invested in numerous technology companies disrupting legacy infrastructures and is continuing to look at startups that will be reinventing old systems in new ways. Rebecca and I are old friends from college. It was great to catch up with her and have the chance to share with you her unique perspectives on investing globally. In this episode, we've discussed Rebecca's move from Bay Area to New York City and how it has impacted the way she looks at deal flow generation both in the U.S. and beyond. USV is very interested in investing in startups outside of North America as long as they prove that they can establish significant scale. This episode covers topics like building conviction around investment theses, investing in a developing world, main struggles foreign companies face in scaling globally, and creating content to increase accessibility. Hey, Rebecca. Long time no speak. I'm so glad this was an excuse to catch up. Thank you for joining today's episode. This is so fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I've known you for over a decade now since school, and yeah. obviously I know your pedigree closely, so it was no surprise to me when you were announced as a GP to USV at such a young age. Um, but for the listeners who might not be as familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to USV? Sure. So, well, we went to college together and then I became a journalist from there. So spent time writing for different publications um, and eventually made my way to business school at Stanford, really not knowing what I wanted to do, uh, but pretty quickly drank the Kool-Aid being in Silicon Valley <laughs> on at least the technology world. And a close mentor of mine at school, who was a guy named Bill Campbell, who uh, passed away a few years ago, but was really a kind of amazing coach and mentor, basically professionally, mostly to kind of big name mm -hmm. people in Silicon Valley, and then on the side to very non-big name people in Silicon Valley, <laughs> me at Stanford, suggested that I go into venture and introduced me to the team at Maveron, mm -hmm. and, which is a West Coast-based consumer-focused venture firm. Mm -hmm. So I joined Maveron first as an intern um, while I was in school and then full-time when I graduated and spent six plus years there, uh, really trying to learn the ropes of venture from the awesome partnership there, um, looking at a lot of consumer companies and kind of developing some perspectives. And then met the team at USB and joined the partnership about coming up on three years ago, um, which had the added benefit of bringing me back to New York, where I'm from. So there was a lot of good things involved in it. Yeah, I definitely want to ask you about New York, which is, I think, a hot topic uh, compared to the Bay Area. But before we get there, I kind of wanted to ask you about something that uh, bugged me a lot when um, your new position at USB was initially announced. I remember reading it somewhere where um, they, you know, they named your journey an unorthodox journey to being a GP. Um, <laughs> but then I know you, and you've graduated from the two top universities in the nation, Harvard and Stanford, one for undergrad, one for MBA. You've done some amazing investments in Mavron. 
how the hell is that considered unorthodox? <laughs> like, does the Bay Area really have that little tolerance for diversity? I think the thing I think is really funny about the Bay Area and tech in general, and New York and probably many places are guilty of the same thing is it, it so highly values creativity, right? In terms of like mm-hmm. what's built and the new and innovation, but inside a relatively defined box, if that makes sense. So look, I think on one hand, one of the great things about venture is there isn't a defined path, right? You can, it values different experiences and different perspectives. On the other, it trends towards commonalities. And to be honest, you know, going to Harvard and Stanford are two of those commonalities um, <laughs> that venture could serve to get a little bit farther away from rather than closer to. And so, you know, we could talk about it, but as you know, I've been relatively involved in ventures, kind of diversity efforts as well with things like mm-hmm. always. And, you know, I think in general, the industry just has to continually push what they mean by diverse, right? And yeah. what unusual backgrounds are because all of this still fits into a pretty small box. <laughs> True. I agree completely with that. Um, so, you know, uh, coming back to the New York City move, you started your VC career in Silicon Valley, obviously with Mavron where the locals and many in the world would consider to be the epicenter of the startup world. What were some of the things going through your mind when you eventually made the call to go back to New York City? I mean, is it more difficult now to get access to deal flow or compete for the deals? Or does it naturally push you and the USV team to look at elsewhere, you know, sometimes outside of the Bay Area? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an interesting moment to be talking about this, right? Because we're at the end of May in the middle of COVID and everyone is remote. And so I think this question is only going to get amplified because right now it really doesn't matter where you are at all. And I think that <laughs> like, I, I don't know if you've been having this experience during COVID, but I'll talk to teams. And then later one of my partners will be like, Oh, where are they based? And I'll be like, you know what? I actually don't even know. <laughs> I don't ask that question, you know, or I was talking to one team that I was really interested in. And then late, late, late in the conversation learned they were based in Latvia. And I was like, wow, I, that would have come up so much earlier. (laughs) And I think that's really cool because it's going to, you know, continually push down these kind of false barriers that we've placed around things and enforce creativity. You know, Facebook yesterday said they think 50% of the company will be remote in five to 10 years. Like this is rapidly changing. Now, when I moved to New York, even, you know, not that long ago, that wasn't the case. I think the New York ecosystem has been really interesting. New York was a big benefit, not a negative to me, um, including the tech ecosystem. I think it's one that, you know, some of the opportunities that interest me the most are about reinventing old industries in new ways. And I think New York is such a great place to do that because it has such a coming together of new and old and bringing people from different industries and different mindsets onto singular teams. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Bay Area, you know, has a really big technology focus. That can be a very big benefit when you think about really building new technology, the best product teams, you know, groups of people gelling as a whole and coming out of companies together. So much of that had happened in the Bay Area. But I think New York really offers something different. And when you look at the last few years with MongoDB and Etsy and Datadog and all of these, like it's starting to show the results of, you know, now there are, I can't remember, five or six, $10 billion plus public Mm -hmm. companies from the ecosystem here. So I love the New York ecosystem. And I believe that both COVID and just natural progression are pushing 
innovation way more globally than the kind of central, you know, ization of Silicon Valley has been in the last couple of decades. I mean, that makes so much sense that New York City would be home to what you say, reinventing old industries in new ways. No wonder great fintech companies come out of the city, given New York is the financial center of the world and North America, especially. But in terms of everything else, so imagine the Etsy's and the MongoDB's, What's the main reason New York City is emerging as a credible contender to San Francisco, even in areas where we can't distinctly pinpoint a significant disruption of the incumbent or the legacy systems? Do you think it is the abundance of capital that pulls the talent and makes them stay or the other way around? I don't think so, because I think it's the other way around. I think capital has ent- venture capital has entered the city you know, as there have been more opportunities here. And there's now a fair amount of new firms and, and really interesting firms here, but um, that hasn't always been the case. I think opportunity pulled capital in this instance. I think the main one is like, you know, you know, you've spent a bunch of time in New York City is a great place to live. Yeah. Despite the pandemic where it may not currently be a great place to live. In general, New York City is a great place to live. And the benefit of diversity of thought and so many different industries coming together isn't only relevant to your work life, it's also relevant to your life. I think people want to be here. And so people wanted to start companies here. I also, I'm very positive on the Bay Area. I think building, you know, uh, a hub of innovation is a hard thing to do and it produces awesome results. One of which it pushes the boundaries of what success is, right? The risk tolerance that the Bay Area fosters is unmatched, Yeah. right? And I think that's really important, but it's not the only way to do it. And I think New York, anywhere that's a compelling place to live and for talent to go, you know, has the potential to be a big hub, which is why we're seeing the same thing in, you know, so many other places, Boulder, Berlin, London. You know, and I think that's only going to continue and distributed teams, which is mostly what we're going to see. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it's a matter of availability of capital. There's capital and pools of capital in a lot of the places in the world. But I think it's the risk tolerance uh, that makes these hubs like really, really attractive for the founders who are trying to build things. Um, so another thing that always you know intrigues me about USV is your thesis driven approach which is great because it provides great clarity, I guess, I'm sure internally for you, but also for the external world. But I'm always curious as to how the deal generation, deal flow generation actually happens. Do you build conviction in a category and then look for companies or do you kind of look into deals and qualify their overall market potential in comparison to your established theses, for example? Yeah, I don't think there's kind of one answer. And I think it's this kind of cyclical process that reinforces each other. I think looking at companies starts generating ideas. And as we generate ideas and we discuss them as a partnership, we push the edges of our thesis and try to define it so that I always use the example because I think this is a little bit easier in examples. You know, it's easy to say, I think healthcare is going to be reinvented, Mm -hmm. but how is healthcare going to be reinvented? What does that mean? Okay. And, you know, one thesis there is it's going to be reinvented by delivery mechanisms, improving not just the convenience of care, but the quality of care. Okay. So if you believe that needs to happen, what are you looking for, right? You're looking for both categories that fit it and technologies and teams that are aligned with that. And then as you see them, you're going to refine that idea even more. And so I think this all works best when it's kind of happens in this cyclical loop where looking at companies and talking to you know entrepreneurs, 
help form your thinking and your thinking helps inform who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, so earlier in the conversation, you talked about like a company you kind of talked to from Latvia, which is interesting because I always want to talk to U.S. investors who are looking at places outside of North America. Uh, so you've made investments outside of the U.S. as a fund. Um, how does the sourcing of those deals usually come about? Are they usually a, a result of active sourcing or because you're such a big brand name as a fund, it's like inbound leads coming in and it just gels? Um, it's a little bit of different things. Probably the biggest one is that partners we know locally bring us in. Traditionally, when we've invested in something internationally, which we like to do, we've invested really across Europe, Canada, and US. We've actually now made an investment in Latin America as well. So it's, it's expanding a little bit. We generally like to have some local partner in the mix. That's not always true, but that's probably one of the biggest ways that that happens. The other is we believe in not only creating these theses, but putting them out there, blogging about them, about them, talking about them, trying to put them in the world. One, because that's, you know, how people who are building things in it can find us and know that we're looking, but also because it helps push our thinking. You can get people who write back and say, I think you're wrong, right? And here's why. <laughs> um, that helps us get better and, and really hone it. And so in doing that, that's a mechanism that we meet people from all over that are building things in the areas we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I completely wanted to ask you about the content creation because you guys are so good at it. Um, I think, you know, like Fred's blog on its own could be a standalone job, but but right. all of the other partners within the firm are really active in creating content and putting your ideas and thoughts out there. Uh, but unless it comes like very natural to you, and I think it comes naturally to a very few people on this planet, yeah. it's a lot of work oh my to keep it up all up and like maintaining the quality. Do you think does the result... Um, justify the effort that goes into it? Do you see yourself doing it for you know long periods of time because you see the benefit coming out of it? Yeah, this was one of the things I think I had to learn by practice because I had <laughs> questions when I was joining USB. I think it isn't natural for everyone to put their thinking out there all the time. But what I've learned is that it works and it makes it really interesting. It helps create we can have conversations internally, right? And yeah. we can debate with each other. And I think my partners are extremely smart thinkers and really good investors. And so I love to do that. But that conversation is way better if we're debating not just with each other, but with a broader collection of people. And it is a really powerful tool to do that. Um, it's extremely effective at helping that conversation broaden. And we have so many tools and platforms that allow us to do that now. And so, you know, we should leverage them. So I came in, I guess, I wouldn't say skeptical, but open about this question. And over time, I've definitely drank the Kool-Aid on its effectiveness. Yeah, I can totally hear that. I mean, this podcast on its own is is taken up a huge, you know, mental work and resource from our end. But we personally believe it's worth the effort. So um, I, I completely hear what you say on there. Kind of wanting to come back on the international investing space because it's what, you know, this podcast is all about and growth journeys from, you know, remote parts of the world that end up being global success stories. So You've made as the fund a lot of international investments, actually drew on Jabatical from your portfolio. We've actually hosted on the show here. Good. Um, yeah. And then you guys kind of like have invested in um, companies that build their products elsewhere, like, for example, in Latvia or somewhere in Europe or Latin America, um, but uh, occasionally try to target the global market. What are some of the challenges these guys see in internationalizing a locally built company? Is it harder for them to scale compared to 
like a North American company because the early adopters usually are based in North America? I think it depends. I think the core question is how similar is behavior and what are the nuances of the location? Mm-hmm. Sometimes in a pure consumer company, it's not that hard, right? Because how you communicate with your friends in Istanbul is probably not all that different with how I'm communicating with my friends in New York. A SaaS company or certainly an enterprise company, if there are either kind of practices or regulation, you know, or just behaviors that are different. I think there's a learning curve there and just how that kind of business works Mm -hmm. that we've seen take some time. But often it's just how quickly can these teams get up that learning curve, right? Like how the time assigned to figure that out and how much has to be custom to that location versus can be flexible in a platform. Now, the best things, like if you think about Twitter or Facebook, very little is custom, maybe language, but overall, there's a lot of flexibility. And so when you can find things like that, you obviously get a lot of leverage. Yeah. And then that learning curve you mentioned, especially for the founders and also the platforms that they are building matters if these quote unquote local teams are building a globally facing platform or product. Um, Is that the type of business that you guys are looking at when you're looking outside of North America, A, a company or a team that's using their home resources to build something that could be relevant at an international scale? Or would you be interested in, for example, uh, super app of an emerging market like the Rapis or the Gojax? Yeah, I don't think that the international scale is our first thought, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like, scale is interesting to us. <laughs> so, to the extent that international scale is required for the kind of growth that you need to get the returns we're interested mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. But we definitely have companies in our portfolio that are localized And some of that is because they expected differently and over time, that's not what happened. And some of it, they probably knew from the start. So I wouldn't say that we don't only invest in Europe when we think it'll go to do America. That's not our luck. That's good to know. I mean, I think a lot of emerging market companies, unless you're like in a giant market like India or Indonesia or maybe LATAM, um, they think that they have to like build these things that are going to be globally competitive. Um, So the fact that you look at scale, period, and that could be enough scale if, if it's like a large enough country or region or if it's a different offering, it has to go global. That nuance is, I think, helpful for the founders and entrepreneurs that are listening in. Another question that always comes up when we're talking about international teams is um, some of the struggles that they have in the emerging world. Um, usually challenges around scaling to upstream markets or raising growth capital or recruiting outside of their home base if they have like a regional or a global play. Um, how do you see that happen in some of your portfolio companies or can USV be helpful in, in any of those issues? Yeah, I think we, you know, I think we play a pretty active role in helping companies raise additional capital. I don't know. I'd be curious what you think. I think increasingly the world is shrinking this way and that, you know, for growth firms in particular are taking a global lens in the opportunities that they're looking at. And so growth capital is more universal than localized. Are you seeing something similar? Or do you still feel like from the European perspective, it's pretty localized? Um, I'm thinking, especially in the emerging market, it's going to sound contrarian maybe, but it's easier to raise growth capital than early stage capital. Because I think by the time you qualify for growth stage capital, I think your traction, your metrics, your story is in place that it's undisputable regardless of whether you're in Latvia or Silicon Valley or Ontario, right? Um, But I think at the early stage, there is a lot of risk that investors think that they're getting besides the product or the team that it becomes trickier. 
Totally. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Definitely mirrors what we've seen in our portfolio. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I guess like, you know, having you guys as a brand name in is pretty useful in not only, you know, raising growth capital, but also like growing the team and being helpful for recruitment. Um, Do you guys specifically offer a platform? Because a lot of these um, Sandhill Road VCs are now talking about offering platforms for their portfolios. Is that something you actively do or is that an informal thing, uh, an involvement with your portfolio companies? So we we have what we call a network team. We don't think of it as a platform, but we think so USV really started with this thesis around network effects and this belief that um, large networks of engaged users created value. And our belief in our portfolio is that it should form a network too. That part of being thesis-driven means that there's enough alignment and common interest across a portfolio that mm-hmm. every company that joins should make the whole better. And so we have a three-person network team that facilitates that. But what we're really focused on is how do you leverage learning and sharing across the portfolio versus us building out a very large services team to deliver it. Because we're a purposefully small team and mm-hmm. firm. So we're not, you know, in the business as some others are of hiring, you know, 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like really tight teams um, with, you know, effective use of resources, I feel around the world, the race to conquer the new frontier markets first is on, right? Everybody is, okay. you know, like recruiting partners in different parts of the world, launching offices, or even like launching dedicated standalone funds to different parts of the world, like LATAM, Southeast Asia, China, and India, obviously. And you guys are not doing that. Do you feel it's getting more competitive in, you know, staying relevant in this changing world where everybody is like spending so much time and effort and resources in doing too much, basically? Yeah, I I mean, I certainly think venture has been wildly competitive in the last, (laughs) you know, I don't know, decade. Um, And there's been a huge increase in capital and very, very big funds and very quick decisions. And I think it's not only the number of funds, but it's the idea that if you're a, you know, $200 million fund and another fund is a billion dollar fund, the percentage of capital that a $5 million check is to us is different than to them. And so the risk factor is different. And so they may throw it at a company much quicker than we would or at different kinds of terms. And so that's definitely been playing. However, we believe that part of the reason that we've kept a small fund is it allows for a different kind of focus and a different kind of attention on the portfolio. And so we think it offers something different to the market that isn't going to be right or the right trade-off for every company. But what it also allows us to do is think about being right on the things we do invest in versus having to take a top-down approach and say, I have so much capital to manage that if I'm not in X percentage of billion-dollar companies, I'm not going to return it. We like to have a fund where a single investment can, you know, multiply the fund. Yeah. So that's where building conviction and having ownership in, in those companies really, you know, matters. So I guess that's why you're not like super into party rounds, except for, I guess, when you're investing like really remotely that you kind of partner with local VCs. But I really admire that about USB. Yeah. Like even in that, we wouldn't really do a party round. It would be like, two investors, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, like a pairing. Sure, sure. Um, so I think earlier in the call, you mentioned something about um, COVID increasing, you know, the need for distributed teams and where a company being based becoming irrelevant. Um, I completely hear that. Um, you know, there has been 
as some people say, a startup exodus from uh, the Bay Area or New York City or other developed ecosystems within the U.S., be it because of rising competition or the you know unsustainable cost structures, all of that. So do you think now that COVID has like sped up that entire exodus potentially, do you think that actually immigrant founders have an edge in being able to um, manage distributed teams because they usually have back offices or development offices back home? Yeah, I mean, I think that anyone who has managed remote teams already probably have an edge because like with anything else, there's a learning curve here. Now, I think there'll be lots of tools and platforms to get up the system. And I've been really excited by how quickly and how well many of our companies who weren't distributed at all, you know, in on first and now are 100% distributed, um, including for the foreseeable future for many of them, have adapted and, you know, have gotten up to speed. So I don't think necessarily the advantage is that long, but I do think it's going to become an important skill. And I think leading a distributed team has differences than leading a consolidated team in an office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess like as we wrap up, um, I kind of wanted to ask you about how COVID-19 has changed, um, you know, your core theses around especially networks, because I know large networks, highly engaged user journeys are something that's of specific interest to USV. And I think with COVID-19, we're looking at a new era of kind of social resurgence, yeah. uh, different way of creating digital communities and connections. Are you guys constantly talking with each other and brainstorming as to how, like what's happening in the world is going to evolve and change your investment thesis and the way you look for companies? Oh, absolutely. And especially these days when, you know, behavior change has been supercharged, um, you know, by <laughs> so yeah, you know, I think the deep desire for not only connectivity, but belonging through technology and how, uh, technology can facilitate that belonging is extremely relevant and opens the door for our new social products and platforms to emerge. I also think that behavior change that was happening, but significantly slower in areas like online education and telehealth mm-hmm. has just been catapulted forward. And so is opening up a lot of doors there. And we're seeing that in the portfolio and also realizing where there's maybe opportunity outside the portfolio as well. Um, so yes, we're spending you know, very big portion of time trying to think about, you know, where this behavior change should direct our thinking. Very cool. I'll be looking forward to hear about the new investments. Um, So as a closer, uh, we have three quick fire questions. We ask all our participants, if you're ready, we're going to start. All right, let's do it. All right. So let's say you're not allowed to work for a year and you can live anywhere you want. Which city would you live in? I saw that. It's a good question. I was like thinking of so many different opportunities. Honestly, a long time ago, you took me to Istanbul and we had a really good time. And so (laughs) I have my list. I think that'd be really fun. You're always welcome at my place and we can have the two kids get together and play. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the second question, if you had to rename USV, uh, what would you name it? I would never rename USV because it was (laughs) tragic to my partners who did such a good job creating this brand. but. I think like creative capital. I think one thing that's good about you is we take kind of a creative approach to the market. Mm -hmm. And finally, if you had to donate your whole net worth into one private company, which company would that be? Is it donate or invest it? Okay, I'll take both. Okay. I mean, invested in, I would still give it to Amazon, even with its recent run. I think there are a few companies that have, even now, as much open space ahead of it. Um, Donate it. 
right now, maybe to some of these pharma companies that are working on these vaccines. Yeah, I hear that. Very, very time relevant. Um, This was so much fun, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining. It was lovely to catch up and hear your perspectives, especially in the emerging world. Thank you so much for having me. So great to talk to you. I highly enjoyed catching up with Rebecca. It was refreshing to hear she enjoys working with a compact team based in New York City. In a world where VC firms are pushing the limits in terms of platforms and resources they try to provide to their portfolio companies, which comes with bigger teams and less relationships as a result. If USV's success is a testament, creating an impactful brand and staying competitive is irrelevant where a company is based or how many people it may employ. Clearly, you can be a small team outside of Silicon Valley and still matter a great deal. Rebecca's perspective was a good reminder that in today's world, it doesn't matter where a team is based or which markets they're after. As long as founding teams can establish a premise that will deliver great scale, whether locally or internationally, Rebecca and USV are agnostic as to where the teams are actually based, in Latvia, New York City, or Silicon Valley. Until we meet again with exciting content in the upcoming episodes. Cheers. To stay in the loop, go to our website, getcc.com, or follow us at getcc'd on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube.